First up, we're delighted to be joined by Mark Kramer. Uh, he's a lecturer in Harvard Business School and co-founder of SFFSG, a consultancy to corporate, foundation, NGO and nonprofit leaders with the mission of making social change. Mark is also uh, a leading researcher, writer, speaker and consultant on strategies of social impact. And he's best known as the co-author of seminal article on creating shared value. Looking forward to hearing his insights. Mark Kramer, you're very welcome. Over to you. Thank you very much, Jonathan, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. And Ruben, if you'll put up the slides, uh, but good afternoon, everyone. Um, and maybe we'll go to the next slide. I'll go through some a few thoughts rather quickly, and then we can um, have a few minutes for questions at least. So one of the challenges as we think about the role of business in society is that most research has focused on the problem on the harms that business can cause and the need for business to rein itself in to be responsible. But the reality is business and society depend on each other. There is no example stronger than the pandemic that we are currently in to show that you can't have successful businesses without a healthy and safe uh, workforce, without healthy and safe customers, without a functioning economy. And you, you can't solve this problem of the pandemic without depending on the private sector, not for philanthropy, but to create the vaccines, to create the protective gear, uh, to handle, facilitate deliveries, online ordering, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it requires the private sector as a business to help solve these problems. Next slide. As Jonathan mentioned, uh, I co-authored an article about 10 years ago with Professor Michael Porter at Harvard Business School on this concept of creating shared value. And we talked about it happening at three different levels, the idea of new products and markets. So for example, creating a vaccine for the pandemic is certainly a product with tremendous social benefit. We also talked about redefining productivity in the value chain. Uh, for example, if you are uh, Nestle, uh, your business depends on the productivity of cocoa farmers in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana who live in tremendous poverty. And because they live in such poverty, their children don't want to become cocoa farmers. And so the average age of cocoa farmers today is 55 years old. And if you don't do something to alleviate poverty and improve productivity, you're not going to have a cocoa business in the future. Uh, and then lastly, enabling local cluster development. So again, to pick a healthcare example, um, if you are trying to distribute your medicines, uh, it depends on the healthcare system in the regions where you operate. And so Novartis, for example, uh, has brought basic health education and created a whole new distribution chain uh, to villages in rural India, where there was no awareness of modern medicine, no access to it. It has created tremendous social benefit. It's also opened up a new market of about 70 million customers to Novartis. So these are all examples of creating shared value. But the key element here is that there are social factors and environmental factors that affect the success of your business, whatever business you may be in. So how come there's so much confusion about reporting on what's being called non-financial metrics or social and environmental metrics. Well, if you'll go to the next slide, Ruben. 
the reason I believe there's so much confusion is because of several different strands of work that have been mixed up when we begin to talk about reporting on the social impact of business. Historically, many investors were concerned about being socially responsible with their investing, which meant aligning their investments with their own set of personal values. But of course, personal values are idiosyncratic. And to say that I don't want to own a particular type of business, oil and gas companies, for example, doesn't mean that I think they'll perform better or worse economically. It's entirely separate from thinking about economic performance. And then we move to sustainability and ESG scorecards and ratings, such as the Global Reporting Initiative. And those do relate sometimes to the economics of the business. But first of all, each rating agency has its own definition of social good. And so the correlation among different sustainability rating agencies is only about 30%. And so it's really, again, quite idiosyncratic. Second, there is a lack of external verification for most of the data that's collected. So we end up with situations like Volkswagen coming out on the top of the Dow Jones Sustainability Index the year that they had uh, been caught uh, with cheating on the emissions tests. Uh, and lastly, GRI and this whole sustainability reporting looks at every possible social and environmental impact that a company has. But the fact is most of those are not material to the business. And frankly, most of those are not where the business is having the greatest social impact. I mean, you can talk about the carbon footprint of a bank, but the question of whether they're making subprime loans or whether they are financing oil and gas exploration is much more material to the environmental impact they have than their own carbon footprint. So we've seen progress here. In the U.S., the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board has worked across industries to identify in each industry what are the material ESG factors. And we now have research from my colleague at Harvard, Professor George Serafin, that shows that if you look at companies that focus their sustainability efforts on the material factors as determined by SASB, they outperform their peers and they outperform the market by three to 6% a year, a huge alpha that they deliver. Go to the next slide, if you would, please. But unfortunately, we are still left with two disconnected measurement systems because the sustainability metrics were really designed to show the harms that business can cause and to hold them accountable for negative social impact. It is almost impossible to show a company having a positive social impact through these metrics. Um, and then of course, we've got financial measures which have been developed and refined over the last hundred years to be a quite precise measurement of aspects of profitability. And so we can look at sustainability ratings and see which company is doing good. And we can look at financial ratings and see which company is profitable, but we can't put them together in a way to understand which company is most profitably doing the most good. And the problem with that is, first of all, investors can't tell which companies are most profitably doing the most good. Second of all, Decision makers within the company who are making capital allocation decisions tend to factor out social and environmental impact because there's no way to build them into the 
return on, on investment calculation. And lastly, of course, CEOs are so heavily compensated based on stock performance that if what they're doing environmentally doesn't improve the price of the stock, they're unlikely to give it much attention. So there are two ideas that have emerged really in the last matter of months that are trying to solve this problem of bringing these two separate measurement systems together. Uh, if you go to the next slide. The first, again, being developed by, by my colleague, George Serafim at Harvard, has developed a framework for assessing not just the uh, environmental and social impact of a business's operations, but also of the product or service it delivers. And what Serafim has done with his colleagues is to monetize social and environmental impacts. So there's a price per ton of carbon, for example, and then look at what would happen to the bottom line of major companies if you actually factored in the social cost of their environmental and social impacts. And so in this case, if you think about American Airlines, which had a $2 billion profit, but it had a nearly $5 billion cost in terms of its carbon emissions. And therefore, you can say, actually, from a society's point of view, it has lost money. And it turns out that an awful lot of companies, when you begin to examine them this way, uh, are at, operating at a net cost to society. This, I think, is a particularly helpful framework for thinking about regulation, because it really gets at costs to society. The fact that uh, this approach monetizes non-financial factors makes it a little bit less useful from an investor perspective. If you go to the next slide. So the proposal I came up with was the idea of developing hybrid metrics that combine social and financial performance into a single metric. And we came up with this idea working with uh, an Italian power company, Enel. And we noticed that as they were moving toward more renewable energy, they actually had a higher gross profit margin on generating power. But they never said this to their investors. You know, they had been very proudly reporting on their move to renewables in their sustainability report and presenting their financials to investors. But they didn't actually until fairly recently let investors know that as they become more renewably renewable focused, their EBITDA should actually increase. So we said, what happens if we compare different utilities by looking at the carbon intensity, so the carbon emissions relative to each kilowatt of electricity generated, and look at the ratio of that to their EBITDA. And you can see we're able to compare different companies on that and show which one not only is decarbonizing fastest, but is decarbonizing most profitably. Next slide, please. And we think that in any given industry, there should be a way to link the most material social or environmental factors to key metrics, financial metrics, like EBITDA or return on equity. And here are just a few examples to get started thinking about it. But 
I do believe that the opportunity to directly link profitability with positive social impact can be a key determinant of success for companies in the future and a powerful guide both for internal managers and for investors. And then the last slide, please, Ruben. So there are all kinds of ways to make money in the world, but Professor Porter and I believe that not all profit is equal. That profit that generates a positive impact in society and on the environment creates a self-reinforcing virtuous cycle. And profit that merely extracts rent or is generated without regard to social or environmental impact is ultimately self-defeating as it undercuts the very society on which its success depends. So I've thrown a lot of information at you in a very short time. I apologize that, for that, uh, but I did want to lay out the basic concepts uh, fairly quickly uh, so we have time for a few questions. Jonathan, back to you. Thanks very much, Mark. Um, you raise some really important and interesting points, and one of them seems to be that up until now, businesses have sort of taken a philanthropic approach to the good that they're doing outside in the world, that it's not something that they are thinking about from a how does this advance the business, how does this um, reflect the value to the shareholder, but it's more a reputational activity that business owners have been doing and business leaders have been doing. Would that be fair to say? That's exactly right. And that's the distinction we're trying to get at. You know, there's a sense that, gosh, if you do something nice in the world, you ought to be reported with your stock price going up. But that is hopelessly naive. And it's also not productive because it doesn't tell you where you should be focusing or what you should be doing. What we see instead is that there in any given business is a very small number of social or environmental issues that are core to that business. And when you improve your performance on those, you actually improve your economic performance because there is a causal connection between the change you've made and the economic result. And it's getting to that causal connection that I think is so important. You talked about shareholders really wanting to invest ethically and environmentally. Um, this will obviously help with that, and I suppose, get rid of the sort of greenwashing that we have seen by some companies by putting something up front. And you talked about uh, a Volkswagen, you know, uh, doing, having great sustainability practice on one hand and then, uh, you know, uh, cheating on the diesel on another. So this, I suppose, would, would give a bit of clarity to shareholders in terms of what's going on. Uh, and, and that has to be a good thing. Absolutely. You know, and the role of accountants here is tremendously important. I'm, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the saying that accounting is destiny. But there's no question that the verification by accountants is going to be essential for this model to really work. And I think part of the virtue of trying to connect the environmental and social measures to the traditional financial metrics like EBITDA is that it creates a model in which accountants are more comfortable being able to verify the data. So the, the big challenge I see with, with this idea is uh, comparing like with like, uh, uh, not just amongst um, uh, players in, in the same industry, but also uh, um, uh, you know, a, a food a company that investors might be interested in versus a, an energy company. How do, you, how do you get the hybrid metrics 
clean enough that you can say this is good, this is bad, or this is better? Well, I, I think the most important application is within an industry uh, to compare uh, different companies that are operating on the same model and the same material issues. We can talk about whether Nestle as a food company is doing more and doing it profitably to reduce salt, fat, and sugar or create healthier foods, and whether Enel as a power company is reducing its carbon emissions. But you know, the, one of the challenges with social environmental issues is they're not fungible like profit. You know, if there are two companies with different profit, doesn't matter where they came from, I can compare them. Yeah. But comparing the health impact of food with the carbon emissions of a utility doesn't really make any sense. Uh, these are issues that are entirely separate and more of one doesn't make for less of the other. Uh, finally, what about um, viewers watching from home who uh, might be representing or working within a, a, a smaller uh, enterprise rather than a, a large global institution? How does this idea of hybrid metrics apply to them? Well, you know, I, I think what's so uh, off-putting about environmental and social reporting today is this concept of a huge checklist and needing to report on every possible impact. But hybrid metrics says, look, there are only one or two, maybe three issues that really matter to the success of your company. Yeah. And what you need to do is focus on those both to improve the world and to create a competitive advantage for yourself. And I think in boiling it down to just one or two issues, it becomes much, much easier for smaller companies to be able to pay attention to metrics like this without worrying about too much of a burden. Well, Mark Kramer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us.